Christmas. Tonight we're starting a brand new series called Talk to Me, and um, we're really looking at, at what the invitation that God has for all of us to, to pray, to talk to him. So we're going to segue by actually doing that for a moment. So let's bow our heads together. So God, I'm so grateful for what you're doing around, around the world. I'm so grateful that we have um, the opportunity to be a part of it. In Belize, in Mexico, and Orinoco, and Rochester, and Byron, Stewartville, we have people from just all around this area here tonight. And then you have people all around the world doing, caring, loving, hearing, learning, and applying. And we want to be a part of that tonight. So as we hear um, from you, would you help us to apply? In Christ's name, amen. All right, so like I said, this series is really about God's invitation to, to talk to him, to, to, to pray to him. And tonight we're going to talk about praying like Jesus. Okay, so let me, let me ask you a question. This is a hand raiser, and I don't want you to be too, too proud about this. If you go, you know, when I evaluate my prayer life, right? And I know some of you are here, by the way, and you go, prayer? I don't pray. I don't have to believe in God yet. That's fine. Just don't raise your hand on this. When you evaluate your prayer life, you go, I, I'm a prayer warrior. I, I pray at a level where I'm really, I know God is pleased with how I pray. Put your hand up high, right? Yeah, that's what I figured. Couple, couple. Way to go. Actually, I kind of want to know who they are because it's, it's, it's good to know those things. You know what most of us feel? Defeated. Most of us, when it comes to prayer, we feel a little bit on the guilty side. We usually think we should be, you know, we should be praying more. And, and, and that's the challenge of, of praying. You, you never know how much is enough. Right? I, I love it when people in churches, they go, you know, we're not a church, praying church. We should pray more. And I'll say back, I'll go, so when do we know we hit enough? Because you could say that any time in a church history. You know, we could have 10 prayer meetings a day, and you could say we should be praying more. And how, how could I argue with that? You know, it's one of the, we should be more loving. Okay, what, how do you even measure that? Right? So there's, there's this, this praying thing. Most of us feel, a lot of us feel, a little bit defeated. And, and I'm going to be really candid with you. This isn't my long suit naturally. This, this, this praying business, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer. I mean, I've, I, sometimes I don't pray. This is going to feel like an excuse. I don't pray just because I trust. I'm just like, well, God, I don't have to nag you about it. You know? <laughs> I mean, seriously, when Molly was, when Molly was pre-utero, you know, and, and our daughter had a birth defect, I prayed, but I did not, I did not just pray, 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 pray. I let other people do that, you know, for my, they, a lot of you, a lot of people did. And, but I'm like, you know what, God, you know what I want? I'm her dad. And, 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 and I trust you. Now, I'm not saying that's a good prayer life. I'm saying that's either how I'm wired or that's how I get out of it. I'm not sure which, right? I mean, it's, it's one of those two things, but I have this kind of trust. The other thing I am, I'm kind of a doer. You know, I, I don't want, I don't want to, let's go do something. And, and so, again, that can be an excuse. You don't do without praying. You don't do it on your own. And that would be my downfall, right? If I just do things without, it's one of the reasons why I'm pretty consistently at the beginning of our messages praying because I go, I don't want to, I don't want to be responsible for this. I'd rather blame God at the end, right? So <laughs> we, we turn to him. All right, so that's just me coming clean. It's you coming clean because a lot, most of you did not raise your hands on that, which means there's some felt need for this conversation. And I want you to know, the other thing I want you to know is tonight we're just going to lay the, 
if some of you are going to feel so good after this because I'm just going to challenge you a little. Okay? And, and challenge us a, a little um, in this area of prayer. So let, help me out. Do you remember this? Yeah, what does it say? Okay, so how about this one? Okay, you guys are like ahead of me, right? How would Jesus pray? What would Jesus do? That's a really good question. Tonight we're going to say, well, how would Jesus pray? You're very, you're very, very quick. I got one more for you question we're going to wrestle with a little bit. How about this one? What? What would Jesus pray? Yeah, that's not what I was thinking, but it works. Why would Jesus pray? I mean, that's a, that's a huge question, isn't it? When you start to think about who Jesus is, why would Jesus, God in flesh, one with the Father, a member of the Trinity, have to pray? Have to turn and say, Father, anything. In fact, I have another question. Why would Jesus, God in flesh, one with the Father, a member of the Trinity, pray with words? Why, why would he use human words to communicate with the Heavenly Father. Because I promise you, Jesus and God do not speak English together or Arabic together or Chinese together unless they're just playing around. Right? If it's just like, hey, language night, you know? <laughs> they, there's, there's complete knowing between them, Jesus said. Complete knowing. So why would they have to, have to pray? By the way, you're probably thinking, oh, I can't wait to hear the answer. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm with you. Well, we're going to wrestle with that just a little bit. Later in the message, we're going to get a, maybe a little glimpse. Now, I've got to show you a picture. Who is that? No, it's some model. Come on. We don't know what Jesus looked like. But this is the picture I'm using because it's a representation of Jesus. Right? The only downfall to it is Jesus was not that fair complexion. But we, because we're, we're most, most of us are fair complexion, we tend to visualize Jesus like that. And, and it's okay, I just want to go on record that I know that that's not what Jesus looked like, but I like the intensity of the prayer. I like the prayerful picture, and that's why I've, I've chosen it tonight. So we're going to look at um, how Jesus prayed tonight, and, and then we're going to make some inferences about our own lives and, and how we could copy them. So the first thing I want to tell you is, um, comes out of Luke chapter 5. So let's just look at it real quick. Here's the outline of the chapter. In the beginning of Luke 5, uh, Jesus calls his disciples. And then he goes on to heal a leper. And then he heals a paralyzed man. And then he calls this tax collector named Matthew. Right? And we're not going to get into any of those stories specifically because what we're aiming at tonight actually comes in the seams between the leper story and the paralyzed man's healing. And, he, and here's what happened. After Jesus healed this leper who had faith, incredible faith, Jesus goes, okay, you're, you're, you're healed. He says, go and see a priest. Be declared clean because, you know, he wasn't allowed in the community. Nobody could touch him. He was unclean, that kind of thing. He was ostracized. And so and he goes, but, 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 you listening? Don't tell anybody. Don't make a big deal out of this, right? So, so, so the leper takes off happy. And then here's what, what the, uh, Luke writes next. He says, but despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, right? So here's my theory. The leper couldn't keep his mouth shut, 
right? And, and by the way, how could he? He was outside of town. Now he's inside. Look, that guy, he just be outside of town. We couldn't touch him. It's family. Hugs and you're clean and uh, healed and all those things. So he, the power of, of the, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear Jesus preach and to be healed of their diseases. Okay, so vast crowds on Jesus, vast crowds on Jesus. Heal me, heal me, listen to me, teach me, heal me, heal me, teach me, right? And then it says, but often Jesus withdrew to the wilderness to pray. That's it, that's the verse we want. That's what we're looking for because what it tells us is Jesus had a prayer habit. He just didn't go, 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 go all the time. Often he would withdraw from everything, and go into the wilderness to pray. And so the, the, the natural thought is, and this has been taught over and over and over in, in, in people among faith, is this. If I'm going to pray like Jesus, I need some wilderness time away from the crowds. I've, I've got to get away from it, which requires something very difficult for us. It's called margin. Right? We have to create some space in our, in our life. Do you know what a, a life without margin looks like? It looks like these words. Right? You just run out of room. You can't see everything. You can't fit everything in. There's no margin. There's not room for anything more, which means somehow if we're really going to pray like Jesus, we're going to have to get control of our lives and create margin around it. And, and I think, you know, I get to, if it was me talking to Jesus about that, I'd go, Jesus, you know, I'm so busy. I'm doing this ministry thing. And he goes, really, ministry, you say? That's what you're doing. Right? You say you're too busy. You ever healing the lepers lately, Doug? Right? All the crowds coming on him. And he says, no, I'm going to... He, he walked away from ministry. He walked away from good things to create margin in his life sometime. Now, I don't want you all walking away from the church. There's like, start with your televisions, okay? But, <laughs> but you've got to create some margin in your room or you won't have room for prayer. You won't have room to breathe. You won't have room for caring for others in your family, your relationships, self-care, and you won't have perspective because too much will be happening all the time. And that's the culture we live in. There's always noise. There's always activity. There's always the next thing to do. And by the way, if we're looking for the, you know, the king of, of crowded life and stupid, me. And then Doug Weinkoff is a close second. I've been watching him. He, <laughs> sometimes he goes, he goes, you know, hey, Doug, where are you going? Right, i got to go home and do some more work. Home to do more work. And he goes, I'm stupid. Right? And I just agree. And because uh, <laughs> I love them. All right, so, so there's what my life I want it to look like. Well, here's what I really want my life to look like. Okay, so, but you know, even, even that, that golf thing, that addiction that I have, is a matter of creating room. Now, I'm going to tell you the bad news you'll create margin for what you think is really important. I won't, not what you tell me is important, but what you actually believe is really important. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I'm doing a pretty good job, right? Because if you look at my time schedule, if you look at my calendar, how I spend that currency of time, it'll show you my values. It'll show you what I think is important. And if it's not reflective of that, then I need to change it. It'll at least show you what I think is urgent. Because sometimes urgent things take the place of important things. And I have to re-grip it and re-marginize my life so I have 
have room for it. Because Jesus had this incredible habit of, of praying, of removing himself and, and praying. By the way, it doesn't say he was gone a long time. doesn't say how, how much time. just says, hey, he went to the wilderness. He didn't, obviously, he was with his people quite a bit, right? So the second thing I've I noticed when I look at Jesus' prayer life is that Jesus made giving thanks very, very normal. You know, when it comes to religion, a lot of us live in the, in the ritual world. We do certain rituals over and over again. In fact, here's the definition of a ritual. A religious or a solemn ceremony consisting of a series of actions performed according to a prescribed order. That's just what the, what the dictionary says. It's, it's ritual. What it doesn't tell you is a lot of times they're hard to understand. A lot of times rituals are not normal. Right? Now, if you grew up Catholic, I'm not attacking your Catholic faith with what I'm about to say next. But you have a ritual that is a mystery to me at some level. After you pray and you say amen, you do something. Right? And it's forehead, left, right. I don't know what, you know, and, it, and, and it, maybe it's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Come in, anybody want to tell me, is that what it is? Okay, so you're thinking that in your head. There's nothing wrong with that. I didn't grow up with that. That's fine to do. I don't care. Do it. It's awesome. It reminds you who the Trinity is. It's no problem. It's, we have a ritual. We say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? It, like as if they're magic words or something. We don't believe in magic. We, we believe in, hey, in the spirit of Jesus. Jesus, according to your will. That's what we try to mean when we say those things. Right? But to the outsider, they, they're, they're just rituals. They may be full of meaning or they may not be, but if you understand them. And, and Jesus goes, this isn't ritual for me, this giving thanks. It's just, it's just normal. Let me give you a couple passages where we just see that Jesus has this gratitude thing going on. It's one of the main things he talked to God about. John 6, 1 through 15, it's the feeding of the, the crowd. And when I say crowd, I mean massive crowd. Here's how it reads. It says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Notice the word huge, right? Huge crowd. I know where you're going. Stop it. Um, Huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs and he, as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So they kind of got away by themselves. Then the huge crowd finds him. Turning to Philip, one of the disciples, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And he's setting them up. You know, Jesus knew what was going on. He was testing Philip. In fact, that's exactly what it says. He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. Then Andrew, Simon's Simon's Peter's brother, spoke up. Hey, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. And then I don't know if he said this himself, but what good is that with this huge crowd? What I picture happening is not him saying, but what good is that with this crowd? I picture all the disciples laughing at him. Yeah, good. Two, a couple fish, some bread. Hey, go feed them. Nice job, you know. And, um, and that's the point. What good is it with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down. Jesus said. So they had. They they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about five thousand. Okay, just a real side note. This is all often called the feeding of the five thousand. When you see it in your text, it wasn't the feeding of the five thousand. It was like the feeding of the fifteen or twenty thousand. If the men were there, and then women were there, and then children were running around. The crowds are following. This is a lot of people, if there's that many men alone, right? Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, 
and distributed them to the people. And afterwards, he did the same with the fish. In other words, he gave thanks to God for the fish, and they distributed it among the people. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. By the way, there's, there's a message there, isn't there? Gather the leftovers so nothing is... There's a value statement about food and sharing and preserving. and It's not tonight's message, but it's, it's in there. So they picked up the pieces and scraps uh, and filled 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. We've almost heard that before, haven't we? He slipped into the wilderness. He probably went to pray. He couldn't take the crowds anymore. He didn't want to go where they were going to push him. So, so he escaped it. The only thing I really want you to catch out of that, besides the miracle, besides who Jesus was, that in the midst of all that activity, he gave thanks for each. For, for the bread, before he distributed it, and, and for the fish. And there was so little of it. Jesus, God, thank you for... I mean, imagine 12,000 people. You got five loaves. Oh, well, before we distribute, let's pray. God, thank you for these five loaves. Thank you for these two fish. This, thank you for the little we have as we distribute it. Now, I, again, I know he knew. But he still was grateful and he expressed it. Then flash, move forward to the end of his life, the Lord's Supper, where he... It was, it was the Passover. And in Luke 22, he's sitting down with the disciples. And you remember this because you probably heard about communion before. The, the, this, is my, um, this cup is my blood. The, the wine is my blood. It's being poured out for you. This bread is being broken for you. It's my body. Here's how it, how it reads. He says, then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourself. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. But he gave, God th- he gave thanks for it. He didn't drink it, it sounds like. He distributed it to the, to the disciples. It's going to be poured out for you. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is, is given for you. Another disciple says, it's, it's, gospel says it's broken for you. Right? This is all the day before he died. Do this in remembrance of me. And it's just amazing to me that on his last night on earth, he gave thanks he didn't, he didn't forget. And the reason he did it was because he didn't have to think about it. He, it was just normal. It was part of his, the way he lived was with a spirit of gratitude for, for too little food and, and, and bread and wine that symbolized his death the next day. And he's still giving thanks. And then we turn to Lazarus. Right? And now for some of you, you got the whole story in your head. Lazarus who was Jesus' friend who had died and Jesus was late to the, to the death. He could have saved him maybe when he was living, but he was already dead. And he had been in the tomb for days. And we're actually going to look at this in a few weeks a little bit closer and more in detail. And then he, he navigates his way to where the tomb is and it's been sealed up. And he looks at it and he says, open it up. Open up that grave. And they're, no, 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 the smell's going to be horrible. He said, open it up. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and he prayed again. Father, thank you for hearing me. That's a strange gratitude moment. Thank you for, do you pray that when you, when you pray? God, thanks for just listening. Thanks for hearing, or do you just go, that's your job. 
You're supposed to listen. In fact, you can't help but listen because you're like omniscient, right? So, all right, I'm going to lean into it, right? Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. I would love to have seen that moment, by the way, because I think he was probably wrapped up in linen and like the mummy walks kind of a moment coming out of there, right? Remember the question we asked? Why would Jesus, God in flesh, one with the Father, a member of the Trinity, pray with words? I can only think of one reason, and Jesus said it. He goes, I know you always hear me, but I say this now for those who are around me, so they can believe in you too. So the answer, why did Jesus pray with words? Why did he pray out loud? Is for our benefit. So we could listen in, so we, we, could, we could learn. So we could understand the heart of Jesus as, as, he, as he prays. And those things got recorded in Scripture because how you pray reveals your heart. It always does. Right? He thanked the Father for hearing his prayer because it was just normal for him. He was always grateful. Jesus had this habit of praying. He made time for it. He kept his margins in. He, he made giving thanks just normal. It wasn't ritualistic. Like, like some of us, before we eat a meal, we, do have, we have this ritual prayer. And we get through the words pretty relatively quickly. And by the way, if you're praying from the heart, I've got no problem with memorized words. It's not that. It's just, are you praying them or am I praying them? Right? But he's giving thanks normal. Jesus' prayers were also completely honest. And I wanted to use the word brutally honest when I, when I wrote this because I think they were. They're shockingly honest, right? So back to Luke 22, he's distributed the, the bread and the wine. He's given thanks for both of them. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood going to be poured out for you. And here's what happened next. It says, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives, went as usual to the garden, a little bit of wilderness in the city, right? So he went to this Mount of, of Olives and there he told them, Pray. Pray that you will not, this is to the disciples, that you will not give in to temptation. Pray for the dark days ahead that you will be able to stand firm. And then he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down himself and he, and he, and he prayed. And this is the most honest prayer, the most shocking, the most brutal prayer I think there is in Scripture. Here's what he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. The very thing he was, Jesus, the very thing he was came to earth for, the very reason he was, the thing he had been predicting, the thing that he had been showing, hey, look for signs, and this is what's going to happen, and I know this is hard to hear, but until a kernel dies, it can't reproduce, and I am going to die. There's all kinds of illustrations about this. But then, the night of it, right, the night that he's going to be betrayed, the night he's going to get arrested, he prays, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. And then, then he comes through as Jesus, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I love and hate that prayer. Right? It's hard for me to imagine Jesus having that moment when that's what he was born to do and he agreed to do and it's why God sent him. But that he was 100% human, 100% God. I know that doesn't make any sense, but yet we believe it. 
There's that part of all of us. That, and haven't you ever had God kind of nudge you to something? You go, no, nah, I don't want to do that. No. And when Jesus felt no, he did not fake it. He just prayed it. I don't want this. I want out of this. It's just brutally honest. And then scripture goes on and says, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Right? If God, was upset, if God the Father was upset, then an angel would came in to chastise him. No, that didn't happen. He came in to go, strengthen you. This is, this is hard. I'm going to give you strength. And then he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that he prayed so hard with such energy, with such passion. Part of that was fear that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Just honest. The next three prayers of Jesus. I and mean, we've almost covered all the prayers except for John 17 where Jesus prays for unity. That's a longer prayer. The next three prayers are so short, they all occurred on the cross. Here's the first one, Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Why did he say that out loud? He didn't have to pray that out loud. God knows every thought. God, they didn't need words. It's because he wanted to reveal his heart. Because they're recorded so we know the heart of Jesus, so we know the heart of God because of the same heart. Father, forgive them. Forgive us. Mark 15, 34. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a large, or a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, Leme Sabakuthani. So don't give that to anybody who knows how to say those words, okay? Which means, and this I can say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And I think there's theological reasons for him feeling that way because for the first time he took on the sins of the world and it separated him from God like we've been separated from God. We know what that is. He never knew what that was like. But when he took the sins on, he felt, I believe, he felt that separation that sin causes. And that's why, that's what he died for. And so he's going, where are you? I've never had this separation before. Why have you abandoned me? Then Jesus shouted, this is the last one, Luke 23, verse 46. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. He died. And I think it just means, God, I trust you. I trust you. And here's my life. And then he breathed his last. What those prayers have in common to me is they're just all so brutally honest. Jesus had a prayer habit. He made room for it. He, underneath it all, as he went through his whole ministry, he gives thanks for things that we don't even think of. Jesus' prayers were completely, brutally honest. And Jesus' prayers were usually shortened to the point did you notice that? Right? I mean, we're not going to do it tonight, but probably before the series we'll do this together, so you might want to brush up on it. The Lord's Prayer. Right? It's so... Jesus, teach us to pray. And he didn't say, well, look at the psalmist and pray like them. Or you know what? Just write down your feelings and put them all on paper. You know, or your prayer should be this long. He, he goes, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, trespasses, and sins as we forgive those who do those things to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, which wasn't part of his teaching, but we added it on forever and ever. Amen. Most of us, many of us have that memorized because that's how brief and to the point it was. It was deep. It was just brief and to the point. In fact, Jesus didn't tolerate long prayers very well. In fact, he criticized the religious people for their prayers. Listen to this, Luke 20, 46 through 40 and 47. Beware of these teachers of the religious law. He's kind of pointing at them. For they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and at the head table of the banquets. By the way, I've met pastors like that. I hate to say, spiritual leader. I've met people like that. Right? They want to be, they usually walk in and they go, I'm Reverend so-and-so. And that doesn't mean they're bad people, unless they're leveraging it that way. Right? But they like to be at the head table, the banquet. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. That's my verse for praying short prayers. Sometimes shockingly short prayers. And people go, that's it? Well, we, we gave thanks for the food, right? That wasn't that the point? I prayed, God, thank you for the food. <laughs> Amen. They go, are you a real pastor? <laughs> yeah, but I like my food hot, all right? <laughs> he says about the religious leaders, because of this, because of the way they treat people, because of the way they pray to be seen and heard, instead of praying just from the heart and keeping it short and honest, they're going to be severely punished. See, here's my way of summing that up. There are no extra points for long prayers. There's not. And by the way, your small group will thank you if you pay attention to this. There's no extra points for long, ornate. There's no extra points because you prayed for 30 minutes instead of 25. God doesn't love you anymore because you went past five minutes. He doesn't. He wants your heart. He wants the truth. How long it takes to put it out there. That's what it means to pray like Jesus. Praying like Jesus requires creating margin, requires making it a habit, part of your flow, part of your rhythm. I think gratitude is the most, should be the foundation of our prayer life, candidly. If God's there and you're eating, drinking, breathing, it might be nice to say thank you a few times. Right? I think completely honest prayers. Who are you trying to kid? You're praying to God Almighty. Why would you try to be spiritual for him? I've done it. It doesn't work. He's not impressed. And I think to the point, I really think God would just go, hey, come on. Say what you want to say. You don't have to flower this up. It doesn't do anything for me. I'm not impressed. So just say what you want to say and say it in your own way and say it from the heart. And I'm not talking about the prayers and front of people right now, although it's good advice for that too. But between you and God and me and God, I think this is how Jesus prayed. I think how he calls us to pray. So when you came in, you got a little card, I'm hoping, a little business card. If you got a pen, take it out. Because we're going to give you a prayer challenge and over the next three weeks. We're going to just, for some of you go, really, that's it? I pray more than that already. Good for you. Yay. Some of us need this at this level tonight, okay? And some of us are going, okay, I'll rustle through. So here's, here's right on there, the prayer challenge. 
And I just want you to put it wherever you're going to, your wallet, your purse, wherever you're going to see it. Now I want you to remember. So here's, here's number one. Write down number one. I'm going to, cre- you don't have to write, I'm going to create margin. And what I'm going to suggest is I want, I, I want to encourage you two times a day. And I'm talking about five minutes. I want, whatever it is, you know, walk away from everything. You know, if you've got to go to the closet, it's scriptural. Go find the closet, close the door, hide from your kids. They will live five minutes, I hope, okay? So just go in. But you need to create margin, space. You need to find your own wilderness. You need to walk away from the crowds, whatever the crowds are for you. By the way, you can be alone in the crowds, right? Your calendar is part of your crowd. The to-do list is part of your crowd. It's all that pressure you feel all the time, and I feel it too, is part of my crowd. I've got to walk away from it. So how are you, how am I, how are you going to create margin in our lives to talk to God, to get to the wilderness. And that means walking away from ministry like Jesus did. Whatever your ministry is, your job, your kids, your everything. Right? Secondly, I want you to tell God how you feel. That's all I want you to do each time you go there. I want you to go, God, right now, I'm feeling like, take this cup of poison away from me. I never wanted these kids. No, <laughs> whatever it is, right? I mean, I'm pressed. I'm overwrought. I don't like this church anymore. Why are they here? You know, leave me alone. I've got so many things to do. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm scared. I'm praying to you, and I don't even believe in you. That's the truth, God. I'm not sure you're there. I'm not sure you care, God. Whatever, God, I love you. I, I'm so grateful for you tonight. You are right here in the room with me. I don't know where your prayers are, what you're feeling, but whatever it is, there's no reason to fake it here. There's no reason to pretend it's something, nothing. It's not there. Just, God, this is what I think and feel right now. And then I want you to do one more thing, and that is I want, I want you over the next week to try to embrace gratitude. And maybe things are just really small. And I want you to kind of, you might have to write them down or something, but track your gratitude moments. So this is not... The prayers, I mean, you can, you, you're allowed in your margins to give thanks, that's fine. But in your margin, that margin time when you're alone with God, you, there might be a time to write down some things you remember giving thanks. But I want you to think about giving thanks through the day. Right when it happens. It's in your head, because he speaks your mind, whatever language that is, right? He speaks your mind. He, God, I'm, I'm, God, I'm thankful for Saturday night. Look at all these people here. That would be one of mine. I remember when, I was telling somebody tonight, I remember when there were, we were like 15% of the church would show up on Saturday nights. Now it's like 30% of the church. And that's awesome. I celebrate that. This has, this has its own life to it. It's great. You know, but that was one of mine tonight. It's just how cool is it to be together on a Saturday night? We're almost Catholic. We're partway there. Right? <laughs> okay, we're good. Catholic unified church together. Right? Those are the only three things I want you to do. Now I'm going to give you a warning. Next week we're going to add to it. Next week we're going to to start talking about what you might say a little bit more. But this week, those are the three things I I want you to do. And here's our goal. It's just to make praying normal. That's our only goal is to make praying normal. Not spectacular, not wonderful, not prayer warriors, just normal to talk to God. Let's pray. God, you are right here right now. When I remember that, I talk to you. And when I forget it, I'm pretty quiet. So I'd like to remember. I remember better when there's margin in my life. 
when, when praying is normal. God, forgive me for all the times I, I worry about what and how I'm saying things rather than being to the point and saying them with you. Forgive me for trying to fool you and I, I'm only fooling myself. Forgive me for the times I try to be a spiritual somebody when I'm just, I just am somebody to you. And God, I want to live. I mean, if Jesus can give thanks for the wine and for the bread and what they meant, I'd like to be that. I'd like to be able to give thanks for even the things that are hard, but that you use. God, give give us all wisdom about how to create that margin. And thank you for hearing our prayers. In Christ's name, amen. We've had chicken. Did I tell you that? we got chicken for supper. So join us.